Well, good morning, Abundant Life. How are you? Great to see you guys. Great to see you guys. Those of you out at Sandy and those of you up in Vancouver and those of you wherever you are online, welcome today. Great to see you here. I remember growing up in Mechanicsville, Virginia. It was just a small rural community, much like uh, Damascus is to Portland. Mechanicsville was to Richmond, Virginia. And I had lots of fond memories of growing up in that community. But one of my fondest memories really didn't have to do with a place. It had more to do with a person. And that person was my dad, my father. He was a great guy. He was a wonderful dad. He wasn't perfect, but he was a great dad, the kind of dad that any son or any daughter would have been proud to have had. He worked hard. I remember he got up at 4 a.m. every morning, and I swore I would never have a job where I had to get up at 4 a.m. in the morning. And he would go to work, and he worked hard. He provided for his family. He played catch with me out in the backyard. I played on the church softball team, and he always would sit right behind the backstop, and he was there every game, and he would cheer me on as I was playing. And, and uh, he disciplined me when I needed discipline, yet he did it with grace and with kindness and, and yet with sternness. And I have just wonderful memories of my father. I look forward to seeing him again. The last time I saw him, he didn't know who I was. And so I look forward to the day that we will see one another again. Great memories of my father, my dad. We're in this series that we started three weeks ago called He Will Be Called. He Will Be Called. And in this series, we're looking at this 700-year-old prophecy that Isaiah gave to us way back in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6. And I want you to read this verse with me again. Those of you at our campuses, just feel free to join in with us here. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so in this series so far, we've looked at how Jesus is our Wonderful Counselor and how he's the kind of counselor who understands every situation we go through. There's nothing that you're dealing with that he does not understand. And he meets us with grace and with mercy and with compassion. He's that kind of counselor. And then last week, as Pastor Jeff taught here, and uh, Pastor Dennis over at, at Vancouver, and uh, Don out in uh, Sandy did an amazing job. Didn't, they, didn't Jeff do a fantastic job here? And I know that Dennis and Don, you guys did a fantastic job as well. They taught us about how Jesus is this mighty God and how he provides everything you and I need. Now, as we continue today in this prophecy, we're looking at what is probably one of the most personal names that was given by Isaiah when he described Jesus, this coming Messiah, as the everlasting Father. The everlasting Father. Now think about that for just a moment because that's just a little bit strange because how can a baby be everlasting and how can, uh, and how can, can a son or a baby be a father? 
And it's difficult to get our brains around that. And the answer to the first question, you know, how can a newborn be everlasting? Well, well, it's because Jesus existed way before he came onto the scene as we celebrate it at Christmas. And the answer to the second question is Jesus grew up. And in his short three-year ministry, he demonstrated for you and me these beautiful father-like qualities. Now, it's a little bit confusing because when we think of Jesus as being the everlasting father, we sometimes allow our minds to go right to the, uh, the, the Godhead, the father, God the father. But this isn't a reference to the, to the God the father in the Trinity. This is a reference to the coming Messiah who will reign with father-like qualities. And that's what Isaiah is talking about here. And he gives this description. He says that, that he will be everlasting father. And so we want to take a moment today and look at both of these terms that describe this Messiah who was to come, this Jesus who was born in a manger. All of us know, I'm sure, that Jesus didn't get his start in a manger. He had his beginning way before the manger. He was before, Jesus was in the beginning, he'll be here forever. He's eternal, no beginning, no end. He existed before the earth was formed, and he will exist forever. And so he had his start way before that. And it's hard, it's difficult for you and me to get our minds around that, that, that Jesus could be existing way before he ever was born. And that's part of the challenge of us grasping the, the complexity of our faith many times. You know, we read the, the Christmas story in Matthew. We read it in Luke. I think one of the greatest descriptions, however, of the birth of Jesus or the coming of Jesus or the Christmas story is actually found in John. In John's gospel, in chapter 1, verse 2, and then also 1 and 2, and then verse 14, it says this, In the beginning, the Word already existed. He was with God, and He was God. He was in the beginning with God, and so the Word became human and lived here on earth among us, and He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. I mean, try to get your brain around that. It's, it's difficult to, to really grasp that. We sing Christmas carols that help us to understand. There's one Christmas carol, O Come All Ye Faithful, that has a line in it that attempts to describe what this is saying. O Come All Ye Faithful, you know the chorus, and it says this, Word of the Father now in flesh appearing. You recognize that? And so we sang that all the time, but it's a difficult concept to grasp. The Jewish people and the Jewish leaders were always questioning Jesus. They were questioning his identity. They questioned his authority. They questioned who he hung out with. They questioned everything they could about Jesus, and they were always trying to trick him and to trap him and, and to question him. In John chapter 8 is one such occasion where the Jewish leaders had come to Jesus 
and they were having a discussion, a rather heated discussion, and they accused him of being a Samaritan, they accused him of being demon-possessed, and they said, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and that you're demon-possessed? I mean, aren't we right that you're demon-possessed? And, and that's the discussion that they're having. And then Jesus makes this statement that literally rocks their religious world in John chapter 8. And he made a statement that pointed to his everlasting nature of which Isaiah described him. And the discussion came around to the topic of Abraham, their father. And, and what Jesus says rocks their world. And he says, you want to talk about Abraham? Let's talk about Abraham. I know a thing or two about Abraham. And in verse 56, chapter 8, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews replied, and you have seen Abraham. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, and how does that complete? I am. Before Abraham was even born, I am. Now, if you know much about the scripture, you know that when God appeared to, Abraham, to Moses in the desert, in the burning bush, and when Moses asked God to describe himself, whom shall I say sent me? When he goes to Pharaoh, what did he say? Tell him I am sent you. And so what Jesus is doing is using the same name that God used in the desert. It's the name that's tailor-made for God. It's tailor-made because it refers to the everlasting nature of God. Always was, always will be. And it fits him to a T because when you try to describe God, the best you and I can simply come up with is, he is. He just is. He just is. And so Jesus he uses this name, and he identifies himself by saying, I am. And what he's saying is, I'm not just older than Abraham. I was before Abraham was ever born. Now, what does this mean to you and me today? When we talk about the everlasting nature of Jesus, the everlasting nature of God, and, and, and when you compare it to Father, what does that mean to you and me today? Well, because Jesus is my everlasting. Everybody say everlasting. everlasting. Because he's my everlasting Father, he will never be absent. He'll never be absent. Now, some of you grew up with fathers who were never around. And you had absentee fathers. It's an epidemic today. I was doing a little bit of reading this past week about this, and, and what I read is that there's a crisis in America today, and according to the U.S. Census Bureau, 24 million children, that's one out of every three, live without their biological father at home. And so a lot of people today understand absenteeism when it comes to fathers. Yet the Bible tells us in Psalm 46 that God is their refuge and he's their strength. Finish this with me. An ever-present help in trouble. In Matthew 28, in Jesus' words, he says, And be sure of this, I am with you. What's that last word? Always. He says, I'm with you always. And so when we talk about Jesus being their everlasting father, what it means is he will never be absent. He'll never be absent, but this is what it also means. It means I will never be abandoned. 
Not only will he never be absent, you will never be abandoned. Now, again, that's a big issue in our world today. It's amazing the number of fathers that leave their family today. Again, I read a statistic according to the Father Code, and this is what they said. I quote, never before in this country have so many children been voluntarily abandoned by their fathers. Never before have so many children grown up without knowing what it means to have a father. And so there's so many today who have felt what it feels like to be abandoned by their father. Yet again, Jesus says to us in John 14, I'll never leave you as orphans. I'll never do that. In Psalm 27, the psalmist says, even if my father and my mother abandon me, the Lord will do what? Will hold me close. In Hebrews 13, God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. What Jesus is saying, I won't ditch you. I won't dump you. I won't discard you. I'll never be absent. You'll never be abandoned. And so always and forever, you and I can count on Jesus being our everlasting, say it again, everlasting, our everlasting Father. Now let's talk about Father for just a few moments because this makes Jesus real personal. Now, Maybe you, like me, remember good things about your father. Maybe you had a good dad like I had. But my guess is some of you that I'm speaking to today, your memories of your dad maybe aren't the best in the world. And, and, I'll, and I'm sure I'm speaking for uh, most fathers, if not all fathers who are here today. It's not easy being a dad. It's not easy being a father. And as much as we try to be the best we can, we fall short. And some of you know what it's like to have a father who fell short. Some of you perhaps had a dad who was abusive. Some of you perhaps had a dad that you could never please. Maybe you had a father who never could say the words, I love you. And and your recollection of your father, it isn't the best in the world. In fact, it probably, in some instances, conjures up feelings of anger and frustration and and all kinds of, of feelings that you'd rather not have to deal with. But Jesus is termed here by Isaiah as being our everlasting Father. And the challenge for you and me many times when we think of Jesus as our Father is we see Jesus through the lens of our earthly Father. Now, again, for me, that's not too difficult because I had a good dad. But for others, it could be more difficult to do that. And so what I want you to do today is to try to look at Jesus through the lens of Scripture. And what I want to show you from seven teachings of Jesus, and I'm only going to take a couple of minutes on each one of these, so don't panic, but... (laughs) But I want to show you from the lens of Scripture the fatherly qualities that we see in Jesus that I'll bet you never really noticed before, that you haven't really put them in this perspective before. And so when I think of Jesus as being my father, the question I want you to ask yourself today is this, am I willing to let Jesus be my father? Am I willing to let him be my father. And so how is he a father to me? Well, first off, Jesus offers compassion when I'm hurting. Jesus offers compassion to me when I'm hurting. 
And so Jesus tells this story, uh, or the story is told in the Gospels, rather, of, of the death of Lazarus. And Lazarus, as you know, was a really good friend of Jesus. And he received word that Lazarus was sick and he was about to die. And so word got to Jesus to come and be there with Lazarus and to heal him. And so Jesus takes his sweet time, and, and so Lazarus ends up dying. And so by the time Lazarus, by the time Jesus gets there, well, you know, he's dead. And Mary hears that Jesus has now arrived in town. And so she runs out of her house and she runs down the street. She finds Jesus and she kind of throws herself at Jesus' feet. In John chapter 11, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit, and he was troubled. What's that mean translated? He was sad. He was really sad. And, and he asked the question, where have you laid him? Well, come and see, Lord, they replied. And then it says, Jesus wept. And the Jews who were standing back and watching all this stuff, and they were observing this, noticed their interpretation. Ah, see how he loved him. And they, they could sense that going out. Now, as a parent, you can understand the compassion that's being spoken of here. Because if you're a parent, if you're a mom or if you're a dad, you know what it's like to wish you could trade places with your son or daughter when they're going through a difficult season, right? You, you know what that's like. When you see your son or your daughter being ostracized by their friends and they're all alone and you're thinking, man, I wish I could take his place. I wish I could take her place. There's probably many parents here who have sat in, in a waiting room and, and you know what it's like to, to pray, God, please help everything turn out okay. So many parents here who have sat beside a son or a daughter who is sick or maybe in a hospital bed, and you would have given anything if you could have traded places so your son or so your daughter would have to go through that because you, you feel that compassion. We well, see that's the kind of compassion that Jesus has for us. He knows your hurt. He knows your suffering, and he has compassion. He has compassion. He offers you compassion. When you're hurting, maybe that's what you need from Jesus, your father today. Or Jesus offers correction when I'm misguided. He offers correction when I'm misguided. Now, there was a time when Jesus was, was walking along, and James and John's mother came to Jesus and said, Listen, Jesus, would you permit that my two sons sit on your right and sit on your left? And Jesus said, I don't think you know what you're really asking. And she said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, we know. Uh, I, I want them to sit on your right and sit on your left. And so Jesus uses this as an opportunity to kind of teach them uh, a little bit of a, a lesson. And, and, and because their other disciples, when they heard that James and John's mother had done this, had made this request, they wouldn't sense. I mean, they were ticked. They were just ticked. And so in Matthew 20, verse 25 and 26, Jesus calls them all together. He says, come here, guys. 
let's just stop here for just a moment. And you guys come here. There's something I need to say to you. And he called them together and he says, listen, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over people, okay? They love being in positions of power and all this stuff. And they're high officials. They exercise authority over them. Not so with you, okay? Let's just get this straight right now. It's just not going to be that way with you, okay? If you're going to follow me, this is what you need to do. You need to be a servant. And so he says, whoever wants to become great among you, must become your servant. So what's Jesus doing here? He's doing what a good dad does. He observed, he saw a teachable moment. He saw when they were misguided and where they were headed, and he used that as an opportunity to put them on the right path, to, to teach them a very important lesson. Maybe you're misguided today, and you need some correction. Well, Jesus, your everlasting father can offer that to you. Jesus offers understanding when I'm wrong. He offers understanding to me when I'm wrong. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, one of the, my favorite stories that Jesus told was the story of the prodigal son. You know the story of the lost son who was tired of living with his dad and with his brother, and he demanded his inheritance so that he could just go and live his own life, right? And so he takes, he takes all of his inheritance, and he goes, and he wastes every single penny of it, just wastes all of it, all of it, and then he comes back home. And what I love about this story is that when the son comes back home, you don't see the father standing at the end of the road like this with his arms crossed and with that attitude and that look. I tried to tell you, now you, you're coming home now? I don't think so. I don't think so. Now, you don't get that attitude at all. In, instead, what you get is, is this picture in Luke 15, verse 20, when he was still a long way off, when he was still a long way off, and the son hadn't, hadn't even got to the house yet, long ways down the road, his father saw him. And I can anticipate that, that, that or, or kind of think that he was looking every day out there thinking, maybe this is the day he's going to come home. And his father saw him, and his heart is pounding. You ever have your heart pound so much you can feel it beating in your chest? That's what the dad's feeling. He, his heart's pounding. He ran out to him, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. That's the picture that Jesus is painting of his heavenly father, and it's the picture that we see of Jesus and how he relates to you and me. Now, how many of you do stupid things? Raise your hand. We all do, okay? In fact, I love this statement that says, all of us is just one step away from stupid, okay? You are just one step away from stupid, okay? And we all do stupid things. I did so many stupid things when, when I was a kid growing up. I caught the woods on fire twice. The first time, we from stealing cigarettes from a store, we stored them back in the woods, and cigarettes and lighters and matches, and we caught the woods on fire, burned our, uh, an acre of wooded property. Uh, I, I caught the woods on fire a second time. We, we built a tree house, and my friend and I found this old discarded wood stove, and so somehow we got it up in the tree house and caught the trees and everything on fire. We had to bail out of it and all this stuff. And I remember when, when my, my dad was having a garage built. It was one of these, these two-door garages with this column in the middle, and the construction workers had just finished building the column, and I'm backing the car out of the garage. How do you? And I backed into it and knocked the whole thing over. How do you do that? 
how do you, but I did, I, I did. I remember one time I was angry at my mom and I screamed out the back door and slammed the door and it was one of those compression doors and so it wouldn't close and so it just broke off on his hinges and just hung there. I did the same thing with the car one time. I was upset about something, and so I, I remember the, the passenger side door was open, and I was ticked, and I had it in reverse, and I hit the gas, and I backed up, and the door caught the bush right next to the car, and it sprung the door. I mean, I could just go on and on and on of stupid things I've done, a lot of which I will not tell you, okay? That's the minor stuff. That's, that's the mind of stuff that I feel totally comfortable telling you about. I won't tell you about a lot of stuff. But it's good to know that Jesus, my everlasting Father, He understands. He, he understands and, and when I'm wrong. And, and again, these words, when He was still a long ways off, and in a lot of senses, you know, I was a long ways off, okay? And, and His Father saw Him, His heart pounding ran to him, kissed him, hugged him. My dad disciplined me, but he did it in such a way that I, I knew that he still loved me. And, 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 and I've still felt that even though there was the discipline. And so we see this compassion when I'm hurting, this correction when I'm misguided. I see understanding when I'm wrong. And, and here's another one. Jesus offers an example when I'm watching. He offers an example when I'm watching. You and I both know that the greatest lessons that we learn in life are oftentimes caught and not taught. It's what we see people doing. The greatest lessons you'll ever learn from me aren't going to be from words that I speak. They're going to be from the life that I live. Those are going to be the greatest lessons that, that you're going to learn, some good, some bad, but, but those are going to be the ones that are going to leave the, most, uh, the biggest impression in, in your mind. I remember my own dad the picture I have of my dad that, that I most admire was him on his knees beside the bed every night before going to bed. That's, that's the picture. I can, I can see him right now on his knees before going to bed. That's, that's a picture I have. And, and that was a great example for me. Well, Jesus took advantage of opportunities to teach very important lessons to his disciples, as a good father would do. And the greatest of, of lessons that he taught, I think, was one on what it means to be a servant. And so you know the story, I'm sure, when Jesus is coming close to the end of his, his time on earth, and he's with the disciples for this last dinner he's going to have with them, and nobody's there washing the feet, which, which was customary to do. And so Jesus took it upon himself to, to do that. And, and so he washed the feet of all of his disciples. And then in John 13, this is what he said to them. Listen, guys. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, because that's who I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, that's what I want you to do. And now, I don't think he was literally saying, I want you to turn around and wash one another's feet. What he was saying was, I want you to be a servant. Again, he's talking about servanthood. That was an important lesson for Jesus to teach them. This is another time he's teaching servanthood. And he says, I want you to do this. Now that I've done this for you, you go and serve other people. And so if you want to know, honestly, if you want to know how to start your day, just look at Jesus. How did Jesus start his day? If you want to know how to, uh, how to um, relate to broken people, 
Well, look at how Jesus related to broken people. If you want to know how to, to, to come along somebody who's maybe marginalized or outcast from society, well, look at the way Jesus did that. If you want to know what was important, if you want to know what's important in life, look to see what was important to Jesus. And, and you'll see that because all throughout the Gospels, you'll see the examples that Jesus is giving. And so he offers me an example when I'm watching. As my everlasting Father, Jesus offers me strength when I'm tired. He offers me strength when I'm tired. Now, some of you are tired here today, aren't you? I know you are, because we live in a culture today where people just seem to be tired. They're tired. And some of you are worn out physically. Some of you emotionally are at your wit's end. Some of you are mentally, you're just confused on a direction that you need to take and you just can't quite figure it out. Some of you spiritually are depleted and, and you're spiritually dry. And, and you understand all this, you're tired. And so Jesus, our everlasting Father, what does he do? He comes and he offers strength to us when we're tired however tired you may be. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are wearied and you're burdened. I'll bet that describes some people I'm talking to today. And I will give you what? Rest. He says, I'll, I'll give you the rest that you're looking for. In Isaiah 40, Isaiah says, He gathers the lambs in his arms. That speaks to the, of the strength of Jesus. And he carries them close to his heart. That speaks of the compassion of our Father. And, and all of us, when we read a scripture like this, I do anyway, I get, I get these kind of pictures in my mind of, of you know, Jesus holding this, this lamb. And, and you can picture, I mean, you can see his arms. And I, I see Jesus as being one who probably had strong arms because he was a carpenter and he was used to working hard and all this stuff. Arms probably pretty similar to mine. And, and, um, and, and, I, see, and I see this compassionate heart. I mean, you, you just see that in Jesus. That's, that's who he was. And, and so in 1 Peter, Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 5, 7, he says to cast, everybody say cast, to cast all of your anxiety, all of your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Just cast it. And that's an interesting word, cast, because the picture behind this word is that whatever it is you need to cast on him, it's so heavy that you really don't have the ability to heave it on him. All you can do is drop it. It's all you can do. It's so heavy, you can't, you can't even pick it up hardly. All you can do is drop it on him. Just drop it on him. So, so what is it that's weighing you down today? It could, again, it could be something physically. It could be mentally. It could be emotionally. It could be spiritually. What's, what is so heavy that you just need to say, it's yours. It's yours, Jesus, and just drop it on him. Here's another one. Jesus offers me confidence when I'm uncertain. He offers me confidence when I'm uncertain. When Jesus was nearing the time of his departure from this earth, his disciples were beginning to get freaked out. And they're thinking, Jesus, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? What's going to happen to us? And again, Jesus takes the moment, and he gathers them around, and, and he offers them this confidence that only he could offer them. And in John 14, he speaks these words that are so familiar to people. We we'll oftentimes use them uh, when we come to, to funeral services and memorial services, where Jesus says, listen, guys, again, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. You, you trust in God. 
Now trust in me. There are many rooms in my father's house, my father's home, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if this were not so, I would tell you plainly, when everything is ready, I will come for you. When everything is ready, I'm going to come and get you so that you will always be where I am. Again, it goes back to the everlasting. I'm never going to leave you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. When it's ready, guess what? I'm going to come back, and I'm going to get you and take you to be with me. And then Jesus offers me, finally, encouragement when I'm down. Encouragement when I'm down. Do you ever get discouraged? Raise your hand. If you, do you ever get discouraged? And do you ever look at the world in which we live today and just maybe get frustrated, maybe get discouraged, maybe get down? I mean, there's so much bad stuff that just is happening all around us. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff, too. And I encourage you to focus on the good stuff. In fact, I would encourage you, don't focus on the bad stuff, okay? There's a lot of bad stuff going on. And sometimes we just get fixated on all the bad stuff, and it just makes you more discouraged and all that stuff. I encourage you, don't even do that. But there is a lot of it going on. And Jesus reminds us again in John 16. He says, listen, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble. Just, just know you are. But take heart. Read this with me. I have overcome the world. I've overcome you see, this is Jesus, our everlasting Father. He's more. Listen, when we celebrate the birth of Jesus this Christmas, we're celebrating someone who is more than a baby. He's a wonderful counselor. He's our mighty God. He's our everlasting Father who says, I'll never abandon you. I'll never leave you. You're never going to be absent from me. We're, we'll always be together. And he comes to us and he offers us compassion when I'm hurting, correction when I'm misguided, understanding when I'm wrong, an example when I'm watching, strength when I'm tired, confidence when I'm uncertain, and encouragement when I'm down, and so much more, so much more. He's our everlasting Father. I want you to bow your head and as, we, as we pray today. Which of these qualities, which of these characteristics of Jesus, your everlasting Father, do you need? ask him for it. It could be one of them. It could be two of them. It could be all seven of them. Ask him to be that for you because he is. He's our everlasting father. Jesus came so that he could be your wonderful counselor, so that he could be your mighty God, so that he could be your everlasting father. But in order for him to be that for you, you have to invite him into your heart. He has to be your savior has to be your Lord. You have to surrender your heart to him. And so today, if your desire is to invite Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord, and you've never done that, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. And again, I invite all of you who've made the decision to make Jesus your Lord to also pray with me this prayer. So would you pray with me? Father in heaven, today I'm so grateful for Jesus. And Jesus, I acknowledge you as my everlasting Father. You are my Savior. You are my Lord. And I humble myself before you today. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And I choose to follow you. And I pray this in your name. Amen.